Welcome to the Analytics Dynasty podcast. I am your host, Jordan McNamara. This is the uh, being recorded the second week of April, so we're leading up to the NFL draft. Uh, before we jump in, I just do want to note that uh, over on the Patreon side, so that's patreon.com slash analyticsdynasty, I am running a, uh, a daily podcast release, uh, different topic each day. And talking dynasty, talking big picture, talking, uh, you know, specific positions, talking uh, different drafts that are going on, trade tactics, all sorts of different things over there on the Patreon side. You can get that patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. Um, and if you purchase the uh, 2019 edition of the book and you're still thinking about the 2020 edition, I, I have sent you an email uh, regarding a special deal that I have going on uh, with the Patreon uh, 2020 edition bundle. Uh, so that's all bundled together. But the um, so if you're if you uh, on the fence, if you bought it in 2019, you're uh, you're on the fence about 2020. Check your email with regards to that. So the 20. Uh, the the Patreon uh, channel is uh, to get the daily podcast. That'll also get you uh, my Dynasty tiers, which are a different take on rankings, as well as uh, the um, the Dynasty ADP that I've actually been uh, uh, compiling and uh, using. Uh, you know, using some some true drafts, some real drafts, up to yeah, up to the minute. Uh, and it actually updates, you know, whenever I want it to update, it'll, it'll update for me. So it's, it's pretty up to the, it's pretty up to the minute. Uh, it's really up to, I would say every like six hours I have to log in and just, just make sure it's still going. But, um, you're getting the freshest data in terms of player value, in terms of, uh, where players are going in drafts. And these are, these are public drafts that I'm using too. So you get the, you're not getting a bias in terms of, uh, you know, it just being experts or it just being a self-selecting group of people getting into some mock drafts. You're getting, you're getting people actually putting it on the line, uh, which I think is really, uh, the, the mark of, of, good data because you don't have any of these biases or anything like that. So, um, and you have a true incentive to play it out. So yeah, so you can find all of that over at patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. And, um, you'll get the, the daily podcast through the NFL draft, at least through the NFL draft, assuming that, um, I'm basically going to, I haven't committed anything further yet. Cause I don't, I don't know, but for as long as I'm quarantined, I'm probably going to release a podcast a day. So, um, you can feel comfortable. It's, it's unfortunately, it's probably going to be for a while, at least the end of April. So, um, but I'm committing through the end of the NFL draft, but I suspect it's going to be longer than that. So, um, daily podcast over there, patreon.com slash analytics, dynasty, dynasty tiers, and all the ADP. And if you're interested in the uh, the group me, that's a, it's a chat. We get together, we're talking stuff, uh, 24 seven, got some people in different time zones. It's great. I wake up to it. It's, uh, it, it's good. It's a, it's a good escape for all the, uh, for all the madness that's going on in the world right now. It's a, it's a really, really good escape with some really smart owners who honestly keep me honest and, and keep, give me great advice. So, um, patreon.com slash analytics dynasty. And if you're interested in the book, there's some, you get some downtime looking for some, looking for some content, looking for some di- to improve your process and lead up to the NFL draft. Lots of stuff on rookie drafts, 
um, all that all that good stuff. Um, I did a big detailed analysis on the 2019 class um, and how I think that it really is applicable to dynasty drafts going forward. A lot of historical data in there, and to give you an idea of how to how to miss less. Really, um, you know, picking players is hard. But missing, you know, avoiding the misses is, is a critical part of hitting more often. So uh, you can find that analogsdynasty.com slash shop, the 2020 edition of Analogs of Dynasty. Okay, enough of that. Let's get talking to some Dynasty. Uh, you know, I was preparing some stuff for the for the podcast. wasn't particularly uh, having an aim. Uh, I did have some... I did have some thoughts uh, that I that I did want to share, but in the lead up tonight, I just happened to see some tweets that were uh, that were pretty uh, pretty eye opening, I would say. And the um, you know I really I was really uh, really surprised at it, at, you know. And and it's about Tua and Michael Lombardi, former executive in the league. He's plugged in in terms of context with other teams and and former colleagues and all that type of stuff with uh, with other with teams. He was with the, the Patriots and and so he has he's got contacts throughout the league. Uh, he was talking on his podcast GM Street uh, about Tua, and you know it was it was an interesting uh it was interesting because he he basically said that one one team in the top uh 10 of the draft is is has failed him medically um and it's not he made it sound and we don't know who that is um but he said one team in the top 10 and then another team outside the top 10 has failed him medically um so, you know, we've, we've talked about this uh, in some other – I've talked about this in some other forms. I do think that there is a uh, – there's a, there's, he's a bit of a black box. And honestly, the, the whole uh, social distancing, coronavirus, COVID-19 uh, ordeal is going to break poorly for him, at least in my opinion, uh, because he is not going to get into with teams – uh, to get full medical checkups and, and meet with doctors and, and all of those things. So I do think for a player like him, it's, it's pretty concerning because he's not going to get that, um, you know, those, those true tests, uh, and the individualized medical stuff that, that each team usually gets each year, uh, if they want it with a player, uh, he's not going to get that full, that full evaluation. So that for a player with the, the length, the injury history, multiple ankle surgeries, broken wrist, um, you know, the, the hip issue, all of those things, you know, he, uh, Michael Lombardi kept using the word fragile. Uh, so, you know, I, I hate to put labels on players, but when you sort of run down the litany of it, like, you know, I don't think we're in a position to know truly if a player's injury prone, uh, a lot, and a lot of it's, you know, a lot of it's variance and luck and all those things. But, um, I do think it's a, uh, the, there is there may be something and we may someday find out that there is something uh, in in the body with regards to whether it's genetics or bone structure or w- whatever it is that does make players more liable to whether it's soft tissue injuries or or um, you know um, ligament problems or or those uh, or, or bone issues you know bone density issues all of those things I do think it's so, at some point in the in the future, uh, we'll probably have the ability to know those sorts of things. Oh, that's not, 
<laughs> that might be a, a scarier world considering some of the stuff we're going through now of being being able to know that about about people so um but i, I do think the lack of uh, in-person medicals for him is concerning and if he's off the board with one team that's just or two, well two teams one in the top 10 that's just what we know of right that's just what that's just what's been reported i think that there is a potential that it is you know that it's more than that um and so the idea that justin herbert uh goes ahead of Tua that it it shouldn't shock anyone honestly i've been talking about this for a a bit now um i don't think it's going to be cincinnati at one like i think they're going to take burrow but i i think there's more uncertainty right now uh than than the market would suggest um, than than rookie draft rankings or rookie draft ADPs or any of that would suggest based on to his injury uh, and you know you're seeing Justin Herbert I think there's a I think he's I mean his his over unders right about six and a half in terms of picks uh, to to where he's going to go in the NFL draft via Vegas line uh, that's you know that's that's firmly in the top ten, <laughs> and you know that's the, they're usually pretty good. So you, you're seeing you know that's right between I believe it's six and a half. It's right it's I mean that's right in the area of Miami, the Chargers and the Panthers. Jacksonville's right there. Maybe it's a trade up too. You got a whole you got a whole uh, range of potential uh, outcomes there in terms of where he goes, but I do think he's going to be a top ten pick and. You're just uh, the spread on him and Tua right now is pretty wild, and um, you know in terms of drafts, Tua is basically in a tier at you know four, five, six in that range, and then Herbert is um, is a step down, basically like two rounds later in startup drafts uh, right now, and I think that that spread should close, and if not, it's going to be a value, um, especially with I think it's a it's a teardrop to the later part of the the round in rookie drafts right now. Um, and if two is going to, if two is going to fall, uh, or, or Herbert's going to go ahead of him, I think that there's a, it's going to make an interesting, it's going to make a really, really interesting rookie market. And I think right now there's been, there gets this point of the year where there's some group think, I think with, uh, with the rankings and with the ADP and sort of just people assuming what's going to happen in the draft i think we're we are in for a a wild ride in the next couple weeks and that's one of the things i'm going to talk about a little bit later in terms of uh some some experimentation i did or some polling i did i guess on um on some of these uh rookie picks and these uh or the running back landing spots but i think that that if we're assuming or making big bets in terms of where the uh where these guys are going to go uh, or how high they're going to go in the draft, I think that's a, a pretty bad um, – I think those are pretty bad assumptions. And I think that it's pretty bad <coughs> but this this at this point in the process to uh, you know mortgage a ton or to take a rookie really highly in a, in a startup draft. I mean, I've seen Jonathan Taylor go in the top 10 <laughs> or you know I've seen him go I think six overall was the highest I've seen him but you are seeing him drafted in the first round of startup drafts right now and I do not think that it is a, a foregone conclusion that he is going to be a first round pick in the NFL draft so you know you're seeing a lot of these things and, and I think it's there's a, a high risk it changes the other thing I don't I think we're in a different year this year 
you know the 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 idea that that coronavirus couldn't throw a whole hankering in this thing is is pretty uh you know it's it's i think it's naive not to be concerned about it and i put out a tweet today um and i was specifically just just curious what people would say uh about this and uh, you know i i i really didn't know honestly i mean i i have some pretty strong thoughts uh about it but I just said, if you are drafting a startup right now, is COVID-19 impacting your strategy in any way? Um, and it was, yes, COVID impacting strategy, no COVID impact strategy. Uh, it's tough to fit that all in, a, in an answer on Twitter, by the way. Uh, I had to figure out some creative uh, wording for that. 74% uh, of people said no impact. 26% of people did. Um and I've probably including some people that have heard me talk about how I think it could impact it, right? So I think generally, if you were to just analyze the market, I think the, the number is going to be pretty low in terms of people thinking about this. I just, I just hearken back to, you know, the years past, whether that's, whether that's Gary on Conley in the rape investigation uh, that had uh, came up you know, late in the game in terms of, or, you know, right before the, the NFL draft. Uh, I think, you know, that, that made significant changes to, to, um, you know, his perception pre-draft The Lyle Collins, his, I think he was an ex-girlfriend, um, had passed away and there was, uh, some suspicion around her death and he was a potential person of interest and the police were looking to talk to him. All of those things that caused him to go undrafted. Uh, and then, you know, on the, you know, in, in, within the draft, you had Laramie Tunzel, uh, you know, videos of him, uh, smoking weed out of a gas mask. And maybe we're in a little bit different of a time in, in this country now where that wouldn't matter as much or, or whatever. Um, but that, that certainly was a thing in the draft that, that was as big of a story as we've seen in a draft since, uh, you know, I, I can't remember if there's a, a comp to that. Uh, so yeah, so the, those things happen. Um, and we have a, a pandemic that is, that is worldwide at this point and estimates are, you know, between 40 to 80% of, of the people of this country could be infected with it. And we are naive to think that, that these players are immune to that. Now, is it is it fatal? I mean, the odds would say uh, that's that's unlikely. Right? The odds would be pretty low, uh, just in terms of you know the base rates of age and, and those sorts of things. Um, that's that is a you know that that's uh, 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 the the death risk is probably lower than than society at large. Um, and, and these guys are in good shape. Um, but there, you know, there's, there's some thought that it impacts, uh, different races differently. Right. And so, uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily know, but there is a, there is a, a risk, a, a pretty, uh, I think a, a risk that there is, uh, one of these guys gets this. And the question is, is do, I mean, the odds would say that, that, uh, you know, multiple people in the top 50 of this draft, get it now does it become public does it become you know is it is it reported um, you know these things are hipaa protected so you're not going to you shouldn't be getting uh that that stuff leaked from doctors or anything and and that's protected 
but but we know sort of how stuff gets out and you just think of all of that and um you know if if you're taking Jonathan Taylor at 112 or 108 or 106 in a startup draft and he it's reported that he has covid-19 24 hours before the NFL draft uh, just the the risk of the draft pedigree in that is just it's it's mammoth and it's it is different than an existing player and i use michael thomas i just pick michael thomas just it has nothing to do with him you know, is uh, there's nothing reporting or anything like that that he has it at all or anything like that. I just use him as an example of a type of player that wouldn't have an impact. I don't think it would, it would, you know, assuming that he were to survive this and assuming that he were to, um, you know, not suffer any, you know, long lasting physical impairments, you know, anything like that. Um, any of these players, the the veterans, the guys already in the league, um, they're going to be recovered, right? Assuming assuming nothing, you know, ass- assuming it's a mild case or assuming you know no no serious injury by week one, whenever that is, it's not going to Im- impact them. But if it happens right now to a rookie, how much does that move his draft pedigree? Right? How much does it does that change the the perception of him pre-draft? How much does that impact him rookie draft? Right? We don't have a comp for this. We we just don't. And and I've thought a lot about this. And I was looking at some of the data from 2011 when there was a lockout, uh, and and you know looking at some of the you know the draft rates and the and and some of the misses and in terms of that we did see. Uh, a couple of these, uh, the running backs in that class, uh, Mikel Ashore and Ryan Williams, suffer, uh, you know, soft tissue injuries. Uh, one an Achilles and one uh, a knee, uh, a knee injury uh, in the, in training camp. And though uh, you know those are probably conditioning injuries, right? And, and to some degree, um, you know, and we know, for example, that ACLs uh, are are more likely to occur early in training camp because they're conditioning injuries. Uh, and, and, you know, Dr. Chow, Dr. David Chow, uh, the pro football doc, former uh, team physician for the, the Chargers when they were in San Diego, uh, has a podcast and has talked a lot about that. And, you know, the, the, the risk over the, you know, I, I don't think we're appreciating the risk over, or at least the market in general, um, and you can call me a doomsday. I just I, I just look at you know some of the history and some of the things that you know we're probably underestimating the risk of this, uh, and you know whether we know that these uh, these players might have it is a different story. But um, you know the the we don't know how the the, the training camp is going to uh, unfold. We have no idea how the off season program is going to unfold. It's probably not right. Is, is the easiest answer, but all of that transitions into what's the risk in terms of coming back to play if you've been sitting on your couch right if you haven't been able to stay in good shape because you're stuck in your house right if if all of those things are are happening you're much more you're more likely to be to to face one of these uh these conditioning injuries and that was something that popped up a little bit in 2011 after the lockout so i think that you know there is there is certainly there's there's risk to these individuals right at this particular point uh and and what it could mean to their draft pedigree um, but there is risk in the next 
you know, six months about, about when the season starts, when training camp starts, what, what injuries could, uh, you know, what, what risk there is in terms of people being in shape and all of those things. And I think, you know, as a general point, you need to be pretty, uh, I am treating this. I think it does impact strategy. Um, and I think it's a lot of the reasons why, why you see the Steelers GM come out and say, give us three more rounds of the NFL draft because there's, there's uncertainty there. Uh, and, you know, we haven't got to meet with all these guys. Uh, we're worried about, you know, he didn't say it in these terms, but what he meant was is we're, we're worried about the miss rate, uh, and we want to be able to select more players in the draft. Now they have the ability to do, you know, uh, undrafted free agent signings and all of those things. Like that's not, you know, that I mean, it's the idea that they're just capped to seven rounds of picks is, is a little, is, is not really accurate, but, uh, you, you're seeing this, and I think they're a pretty smart franchise, right? So you see how other people are reacting to it. I think that, that taking a cautious approach uh, at this particular point makes a lot of sense. And that's not to, to say, you know, run and sell all your players for future picks. That's not what I mean. But what I would say is, I mean, you know, at, uh, one thing that I, I do a lot, and I think this year is particularly ripe for it, is trade down and rookie dra- and startup drafts right? Trade down and start up drafts. And, you know, if I can get, how do you, you want to hit five or six times in the first six or seven rounds, right? I mean, if, if you're drafting, really, if you're drafting in, in super flex, you want to hit six out of eight. Um, if you're in, in, in a start one, you know, if you hit five out of six times in the first six rounds, like you're doing, if you hit five times in the first six rounds, you're doing pretty good. Uh, and one way to to improve your odds of doing that is to draft seven or eight times and that can be done by trading down and I've executed two startup drafts this year and I've I had um, five picks in the first four rounds and and yeah you know, I had basically one pick I was one pick heavy all the way through the the, the single digit rounds um, and actually in one I, got, I picked up a couple of uh, extra picks in the teens and at each point, I was ahead of the curve in terms of, you know, whether it's quarterback three or tight end two or wide receiver five or running back three, whatever. Uh, I at no point felt boxed out. I at no, at no point felt behind. Uh, and, it, you know, th- it, there is more risk this year, I think, in terms of these players. And by being – by taking more shots – uh, you're you're much more likely to to survive that, and much more likely to uh, have a, a highly functioning uh, team with with some depth than you know you would be by trading up and and mortgaging future assets and mu- mortgaging mid round picks and all of these things. Like this year is particularly well suited to hit the later second into the third into the fourth round of startup drafts, and if you can take three, four, five shots in that range. That makes a ton of sense if you're doing it from a trade down perspective uh, and, and just really can build a, a, a really, really solid core in that range. Um, you know, that's something I, I advocate this year, I would say even more so. So if you're not thinking about the implications of this, I think it's you know, not to play doom and gloom because we could, you know, there's other places to do that. And I'm not going to talk statistics here or anything like that, but I think we're, we're naive to think that, that, 
it's not going to affect this parts of our life too, given how widespread it is and just the, the numbers that we see. So I would say just, at, you know, think accordingly and what, and you know, if you're doing, if you, if you have a budget for, you know, I'm going to do, Hey, three, four, five startup drafts. I mean, you can do one now, but I think the strategy is different than it would be in July or August. Right. And, and once you get more certainty, you can act a little bit different way, but I do think you have to have this calendar in mind and the strategy in mind. So that's a long way of, you know, that's, that's partially on Tua. That's partially in that conversation, but I think rookies in general at this point, uh, and, and sort of how you are, uh, investing in, in veterans. One other thing I would say at this point too, is you're seeing this Kyler Murray ascension and, uh, you know, I've been tracking this ADP now for probably like three weeks and two and a half, maybe three weeks. Uh, and it's in real time. And I actually saw when Kyler Murray went ahead of Deshaun Watson, uh, saw it happen. Like my, my computer screen was up and it updated for me. And I said, oh, wow, like that that's news. And, you know, now we're seeing that in some of the, the, um, the ADP that's coming out now with some of the, the, you know, the, the mock drafts and stuff like that, um, which tends to be a little bit of a lagging indicator on what's happening. But you, uh, you know, that I saw it happen in real time. And I just think about the, the arc of that. And you're going to take a quarterback who threw for less than seven yards per attempt. And, you know, that's just the facts on it. That's just, that is just the, the factual statement on that. And, you know, that doesn't mean that he's bad, right? It doesn't mean that the the hit rate doesn't, you know, the, the hit rate isn't horrible for guys that do that as rookies. Um, but you're expecting a massive jump from a player that's going to get no team development for the next, I don't know how long. How comfortable do you feel with that? Because I don't. And all the stuff that I, I wrote about in the book, um, you know, this is like, this is what happened with Baker Mayfield last year. It's the, the coronation of a player before he has checked the box in terms of what I wrote about, in terms of all the work I did in the, the book, the, the, the stuff that goes back 20 years in terms of how we should look at quarterbacks. Uh, Kyler Murray is not inside that line. He does not have that box checked. And he is going ahead of... Uh, Deshaun Watson, and it has there's a spread there of two and a half, three picks in terms of ADP. And to give you an idea, like Kyler Murray was going after uh, Deshaun Watson was like three weeks ago. He's now going three full picks ahead of where he was at that time. And you're, I mean, and, and he is up from the latest DLF ADP, which is the March ADP. Uh, which is the latest uh, Superflex ADP that they have, the most recent that they have on their site, he was outside the first round. He is trending towards, there's a top four in this draft in terms of, in this startup class in terms of McCaffrey and Mahomes. Uh, he is trending towards cracking that. And man, that's a tough bet to make. And and the question is at that point, if you're going to take him or trade up to to get take him at seven or six or wherever, like some of the things that I've seen. What's the upside of that? Right? Assume he hits. 
Is he is is he gonna go ahead of Pat Mahomes next year? Is he gonna go ahead of Barkley? Is he gonna go ahead of McCaffrey? Is he gonna go ahead of Lamar Jackson? I mean, uh, he's a okay. So he's a top half first round startup pick. What what happens if he doesn't hit? <laughs> I mean, he's going what? I mean, if he has a bad sophomore season, uh, if he has a sophomore slump, he's going in what the the a round, two rounds, three rounds later. I just take that is a dangerous game to play, especially when you're not going to get the development. So that's just something I would caution people on. It's something that I saw. Uh, the other thing too that I saw, and I had a I had a conversation with my buddy Chad Parsons over at UTH. We talked about this on the the podcast with him this week, and and he sort of uh, talked a bit about the. Um, you know, the rookie landing spots for running backs. And so I just put out on Twitter tonight, and I just I, I was just interested to see, you know, you hear good spot, bad spot. And, you know, good landing spot, bad landing spot. And so I just I just wanted to sort of have a have a baseline to to think about these things in terms of, you know, once once it actually happens, you know, how much you know, what the what the what the market's going to to say about that and, and what the analysis is going to be i just wanted like a base rate number to move from so i just went through some of these teams there's i don't know maybe about 10 of them that i thought might be in the running back market and maybe the maybe not necessarily the first round uh but the first you know, call it the first two days that i thought are interesting landing spots so atlanta arizona baltimore the bills tampa bay san francisco tennessee Green Bay, Detroit, and Kansas City. Um, so I I put some on here because I thought that there was yeah, – I, I thought that I had decent answers on what would be the more extreme ones and the, the less extreme – you know, what on either side of it. And I just asked a simple question, is our – whatever the team is, a good landing spot for a rookie running back? So I did this with all of these teams. And the best landing spot – was not Kansas City, which is what I thought it would be. Um, Tampa Bay, ninety-three percent of people said it's a good landing spot. Um, so that I thought that was pretty notable. Um, you know, so whether that's Brady or or what have you, um, you know, or what type of I didn't put a player on that. I just put a, a you know a rookie running back, right? Just a placeholder, essentially. 93% of people said that that was a good landing spot. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and it was higher than Kansas City, which was 80%. Um, you know, is this a perfect gauge for the market? Probably not. I mean, there's flaws in, in any of this stuff on Twitter. It's a, you know, selection bias, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I thought that one was pretty surprising because I, you know, if, if you asked me to rank these, I would have put Kansas City one in terms of how people thought about it. Uh, and they and it just wasn't. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, a couple other ones that were uh, really interesting, Atlanta Falcons uh, and you know, Gurley's still in like his mid-ish twenties. He is not. You know, he's been written off. I think by whether that's dynasty or he's going pretty cheap in these drafts that I'm tracking uh, and the drafts that I'm I've drafted him a couple times. You know, I didn't. I wasn't a big Todd Gurley guy coming up through. It just wasn't. 
uh, it was sort of before I got in on, on playing a lot of leagues and I just, uh, I don't know, maybe I had three or four, like his rookie year. I just wasn't in that part of the draft. Um, and then he's just been so expensive since then, you know, now I'm in what, 20, 25 leagues, something like that. Uh, and I just, he's just been so expensive all the way through that I just haven't got to, to really acquire him. Uh, now he's going 72 overall, 73 overall, um, 72.9, you know, and you're seeing a range for him in between picks 50 and 95. Uh, and that's actually pretty reasonable. And when you sort of look at the, you know, when you look at the hit rates in that range, um, you know, I don't have super flex data going back all the, you know, too, too far, but I do have start one data going back 12, 12 years. And you just look at the hit rate in those, in those ranges and it's about 50%. And you say, all right, and that's just hitting one time, right? From the time, from the time that a person is call it a sixth or seventh, eighth round startup pick, something like that, that is them producing one top 24 season. If they do that, they're considered a hit. It's only like a coin flip in that range. And I just, I look at Gurley and I say, all right, well, I mean, of all of the guys in that range, you know, and we're talking Clyde Edwards, Alaire and Devin Singletary and Kenyon Drake and, you know, uh, I just go a little bit later. Um, you're seeing guys like Melvin Gordon, um, carry on Johnson, you know, just David Montgomery of all the guys in that range. I think Todd Gurley projects to have like the best, if you were to, to put the odds on it, he's the best one to hit this year. And, you know, does that mean, you know, does that, does that rehabilitate his career? Uh, does that, you know, what does that mean sort of in, in terms of going forward? Uh, I'm not sure about the, the fallout, the, the fallout of all of that, but uh, I mean, if you, if, if he is healthy this year, I think you're probably booking a top 24 season and you're already ahead on, on that, on that range of the picks. Um, and so, and they have no incentive to, to try and hold him out, right? They have no uh, no load management concerns with him. It's a one-year deal, right? And for a running back, that's – for a team, that's actually a great position to be in because you don't – you can run the player out there and not have concerns about the long term. And if it works out long term, then it works out. But you have nothing sunk. It's actually a great way to go about it for, for a team. It just seems like a perfect fit in terms of workload for Gurley. So I'm surprised that that one's as good as, as – and maybe I'm just – maybe my view of the, the Atlanta situation is wrong, or maybe it's just different than what people, uh, folks are thinking. Uh, I, I just see that as a, uh, it seems like a pretty good, uh, spot for him to be a pretty high level producer. And is this one of these situations where as, as rookie drafts, you know, we have seen this in recent years, whether it was a couple years ago, like the difference between, um, you know, the, the call it the Sunday after the NFL draft, those those rookie drafts that happened in the 96 hours after that and you know, that first you know the first week after the draft and you compare them to what happened two three four five weeks after that right those were two vastly different markets on a player like Nick Chubb because you had the pre-draft prior baked in to his cost and people had talked for six months about how he was a top three pick and then people start talking and it falls to, oh, his situation's not that clear, and, you know, oh, he's blocked, and, you know, oh, they have other players, and it was Carlos Hyde and, and Duke Johnson, right? 
and his price falls. And he's now going, you know, 104, 105, 106, right? You're seeing him in that range. Um, and you're getting guys like, you know, Ronald Jones at or above him, right? And you just, you're, um, you know, you're getting a, a Sony Michelle uh, up in that range because he's got an instant impact. Uh, those things happen and they, they sort of trigger in different ways. So, I was surprised. I, I wanted to sort of have an idea of what the market would think, um, and again, I this is sort of unprompted and I guess un unexamined. Uh, so there hasn't been an echo chamber on this, uh, at least really that I've heard. So you're not seeing that impacted. Could this change? I do think so. Um, in terms of if you got a guy on day two land in Atlanta, I, I have a feeling that people are going to say that that is a block situation. So. Um, Baltimore, pretty good. 66%. People like that landing spot. You have Mark Ingram there. It's a totally reasonable deal. Um, but it's a run heavy offense. What's interested me a lot is the, you know, you get, you get a forward thinking analytics team like Baltimore and you get a forward thinking analytics team like the Patriots and you get a forward-thinking analytics team like the Eagles. And they have all done the same thing. The Patriots invested in Tony Michelle, and then they doubled down with Damian Harris. And Damian Harris hasn't really worked out. But in back-to-back years, they take a running back in round one and then round three. So the first two days, the NFL draft in back-to-back years. Philadelphia takes... Miles Sanders in day two last year, uh, and after going largely uh, with the zero running back with a sort of bargain basement approach, zero running back is probably not the right word for it, but a, a, a minimalist investment at the at the position, and you get the Baltimore Ravens designing a game around a uh, designing an offense around a running game, and you know if the uh, the Giants did that, or a team that uh, uh, give me a trio of teams that we don't think are particularly analytics savvy. If they did that, I think it's a different story. But all of the analytics, you know, the, I would, I you know, maybe they're in the top five. I mean, I I think of them as three of the most. I don't. Maybe they would rank one, two, three in terms of analytics if we had some sort of metric to to measure that with. But they're they're in the the top sphere and and they all make investments in the running game i just think that's interesting and i think it's i think it's uh, you know is that is that fluky maybe is it is there a trend there i mean maybe it's just as much as hey it's actually undervalued now uh, in terms of what it costs and it, it allows you to actually build your team cheaper by you know you might not necessarily be as efficient but in a per dollar basis you might actually be able to get more bang for your buck by investing in a running game because it's cheaper and you know building out other places like those you know that that maybe that's it but there's a there is a trend there and and maybe it's noisy but but it is it's I think notable that those three teams have made investments in the running game uh, pretty significantly in the past couple of years. So um, you know the idea that Baltimore wouldn't pick a running back. I mean that's not something that they've really done in in 
the first round uh, going back to Jamal Lewis, uh, but they haven't really done it in day two either since um, Ray Rice. Uh, But, you know, you see these things with Jonathan Taylor going there and it just sort of piques your interest. So I think that would be a good landing spot. It'd be pretty interesting to see it. I doubt that it happens, but I just can't escape this analytics trend. Actually, these guys going with with the, the ground game. Um, Arizona, 56%. So people like that. Um, San Francisco, 56%. I think San Francisco is one of the best ones on here. And, you know, could you see them at 31? I think that's, I think you could, and maybe they're in a position to actually trade down and accumulate some, some more depth. They, they don't have day two picks, for example, but they have two first rounders and maybe it's, it's suboptimal to do that. But if you, Hey, you trade back 10 picks and accumulate some more picks and you're sort of in the same running back range anyways. Uh, I mean, that would be, that'd be pretty interesting. Um, some of the other ones that, that are more middling Detroit lions, they are, uh, 45%. So people don't, aren't on that, uh, as much as, as some of these other teams, which makes some sense given the, uh, recent acquisition of carry on Johnson. And there is not a, uh, you know, he, he hasn't fully uh, broken out one way, shape or form. Uh, he hasn't busted yet. It's still a it's still a pretty muddled situation in terms of carry on Johnson. Uh, I think he showed flashes, but uh, the fact that that's not a huge uh, landing spot, I don't think is that is that surprising. When you go down the list a little bit more, I thought there's uh, one of them I think is pretty interesting in terms of uh, situations I think is better than the market. Um, actually, I would say there's probably two of them. Tennessee. Only 44% of people think that's a good landing spot. This could be a good stash spot for a day two back, and you get a cheap situation. I'm not going to say that Alexander Madison's the most likely scenario. It's not like you're going to get a late second-round Alexander Madison-type player this year. But I do think that you can get someone uh, to come in, be the backup to Derrick Henry, be a one-injury-away type, and see an uptick in value in the offseason, especially if he if he just plays on a one-year deal. Um, and there's, a, of course, a potential for a holdout in there as well. So I think that could position yourself well for uh, a backup spot start type James Conner type scenario where you're opening yourself up to multiple different avenues uh, with the contract as well. Um, the Buffalo Bills, only 51%. Uh, thought it was a good situation. Uh, so I think that that is reflective of where you see Devin Singletary going. I mean, he's in the he's he's not up in the upper echelon of the position yet, which it's a short resume to date. He was pretty good as a rookie. Uh, and But you only see guys of his type of pedigree. I think it's happened 13% of the times they basically get preempted. I looked at this in the book. 87% of the time they, they survive – uh, which is to say that there there is no superior pedigree taken over them in year year one, after year one. So he doesn't strike me as the type of player that would that that proves so much that he couldn't play that they need uh, to get uh, to go higher than him. So we'll we'll see on that. I think that's an interesting one. Um, I guess the the one that 
is the most maybe I'm the most contrarian on is the Green Bay Packers. Only 32% of people said it was a good landing spot. Listen, you'll see this track with with day three running backs, and you just get a it's they're less dense hits, and they're more they don't have the same density of hit weeks either. And so and that was somewhat reflective of Aaron Jones, right? He was, he was, I hate this phrase because I don't think it's ever true, but he was uh, uh, boom bust, I guess is a word, but higher variance in terms of week-to-week workload, week-to-week usage and all that stuff. And that that's something that is tracked pretty his, uh, tracked historically uh, for guys on day three. So the fact that they are uh, potentially in the market for a running back, they have been open about wanting to add a running back. What does that mean in terms of pedigree is is the key question probably in all this. But it would not surprise me in the least if they added someone on day two. So that would be something to watch for. Um, so that'll pretty much wrap it up for this show. Uh, you know, I just hope everyone's out there staying safe. Again, if you're looking for more audio content, um, doing the Patreon, uh, the Patreon shows, uh, releasing them every morning, eight o'clock is the, is the time that they, they're released. So you can go ahead and, and go over there and get, and get those shows. Uh, it's ten dollars a month. You'll get all of the uh, you get all the daily shows. You also get the ADP. In terms of the uh, the data that I am I'm getting, as well as my dynasty tiers, which are a different take on rankings. So you can find all that at Patreon.com/slash/AnalyticsOfDynasty. And if you are uh, still holding out, thinking about the book, now's the time to get it because you'll have a little bit extra free time. You're still looking in the lead up to the draft. You'll get some of the data, some ideas to, to how to think about this draft. Uh, there's a good rookie section, uh, in there, uh, to, to really shape your strategy. So, uh, so that'll do it for this episode of the Analytics Dynasty podcast. Uh, I am your host, Jordan McNamara, and until next time, continue embracing the variants and we'll talk again soon.